we want to be caught up in your presence right now. We want to experience you. As we go to the word and seek you there, we know that it's your voice that we will hear. Lord, speak truth and love through your servant. And free our minds and our hearts from the stresses and strains that keep us from experiencing you fully. Oh Lord, take our burdens, those things that we pray about, those things we pray for others, those worries and concerns we have. Carry it all for us, Lord, even while you talk to us along the way. And all that we do, and all that we say, everything we sacrifice will be for your sake and for your glory, we pray. Amen. This morning, we will read scripture to start with, as always, and I want to invite you to open your Bibles or Bible apps or whatever you've got to uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, and we will use uh, just a few verses at the very end. So Luke 24, and we'll read from verses 50 to 53. This is after the resurrection of Jesus, and this is near the time of his departure. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now it's a short passage today, but as in previous uh, circumstances, we find ourselves back in Bethany, and in Bethany, we are confronted with something today that may escape your notice. So let me see if I can set the stage for you. Some of you have been to Israel, you've been to Jerusalem, and you might recall that the town of Bethany is lost in the obscurity of the urban sprawl of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a big city. And you don't really know when you've left the heart of Jerusalem and passed through what used to be villages that were separate from Jerusalem. Now, if you're in Bethany, you may not even know it. Your tour bus may have passed through Bethany, Bethany and if you happen to be looking at just the right moment, you might see a sign that says, this is where Martha and Mary lived, or something like that. Um, it just isn't an easily identifiable place anymore. The Temple Mount, on the other hand, and the city of Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, are unmistakable. When you're there, you know you're there, and you're looking upon something that has been visited by millions of people for generations, and it's, it's pretty remarkable to see. Yet, this story tells us that Jesus once again left Jerusalem, crossed the rugged Kidron Valley, went up the Mount of Olives and over the crest on the other side of the mount, just so far as to not be able to see 
the top of the temple roof or the city of Jerusalem. And there is the place from which he ascended. That's all in this little verse that we just read, these three verses. And this is telling us something so important about ascending. Because we have a contrast here that we need to notice and we need to realize that, that it isn't an accident or I should say it isn't a mistake that uh, Bethany has sort of fallen into obscurity and yet Jerusalem has remained a huge center of world activity. Let me tell you a little bit about Jerusalem, just to put things in perspective. Jerusalem is a place that has been fought over and maintained as a sacred place by three major world religions for thousands of years. And the Temple Mount in particular has been a place of contention. Now what's interesting is, is the Temple Mount as we understand it today may not even be the right location for the actual temple of Solomon and Herod's temple. It is looking more likely that it may have actually been in what's known as the city of David, just down the hill a little ways from this Temple Mount. And that actually serves my purpose even better today because right now there's this great huge platform of real estate up there called the Temple Mount and in the middle is the Dome of the Rock, a very holy Islamic site. And when I take people there to visit, when we get on the Temple Mount, I will walk people to a place just on the Mount of Olives side of the Dome of the Rock, uh, a place where there's a little kind of gazebo thing and I'll say, this is what the Islamic tradition calls the navel. And it means navel like belly button and they consider it the center of the world. And sure enough, if you look at the right kind of map, it does look as though that is kind of the middle of all the various continents and earth land masses. But I'll have them stand there and I'll just say to them, you'd understand that future history centers on this spot, that this is ground zero for future history. Because everything that we read in scripture and everything that our world as we know it now informs us that this place is a hot spot for the battle between good and evil, for the battle between religion, cult, and the true service of Christ. It's very interesting to be there and understand that this is a religious center, Jerusalem. Now, if you haven't figured out where I'm going with this yet, then consider what we just read. Jesus left Jerusalem, went down the rugged path across the Kadram Valley, up the Mount of Olives and over the crest of the hill and down just far enough where you couldn't see Jerusalem anymore. And there is the place in Bethany where he ascended. And when he ascended, he brought us with him, so to speak, because by his ascension, he leaves us on earth to be his presence to the world and that's what the church is with the capital C the body of Christ so that as he ascends to heaven he leaves us as his presence on earth 
And then he fills us with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and invites us to ascend, in a manner of speaking, to his level, to be like him on earth, filled with the Holy Spirit, living representations of the household of God on earth. And he did it from Bethany, not Jerusalem. So what is Jerusalem then? It's a center for world religion created by worldly people. And the reason they fight over it is because that's what worldly things are about. That's what three major religions do. They fight. If you went to the Holy Land with me uh, in October a year ago, uh, then a year ago, October, then, then you saw how people of all different nations and religious backgrounds gather in these places and, and the tension is so high that at any moment people are going to fight and disagree and argue about the proper way to experience these holy and sacred places. Because after all, each brings a certain religious perspective. Boy, you see all sorts of world variations of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam when you're in Jerusalem. And for the most part, it's an amazing example of tolerance. But you can feel the tension. And there's no reason to be afraid to go there, trust me. But, but what I want to say to you is, is how ironic then that Jesus actually didn't endorse Jerusalem he endorsed Bethany. God's favorite place on earth is more like Bethany than it is like Jerusalem. Do you see that? If not, let's talk about it for a second. You see, in Jerusalem, man creates a religion that Jesus came to break its chains. The religion in Jerusalem crucified Jesus. The religion in Jerusalem has led to tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of violent deaths within the vicinity of that city. That's a matter of historical fact. Hundreds of thousands of violent deaths have occurred around Jerusalem. You know, during the Crusades, the European Crusaders would come to drive the Muslims out of Jerusalem and the battles would be marked by the piles of bodies on the Temple Mount. The piles of severed heads on the Temple Mount. That would be how they kept score of who was in control of the temple at any given moment. It's a violent, ugly, evil history. Meanwhile, Bethany is just over the hill and down just a ways, so you can't quite see Jerusalem from there. And over there, that's where the people are like Mary and Martha, Lazarus, and a lot of other people. And I don't mean that literally everybody who lives in Bethany or ever has is that way, but, but the message is clear. Jesus did not create a religion for mankind to manage and then invite God to endorse and uh, enforce, you know? How often we in religion will take upon ourselves the burden of creating the terms and regulations and the doctrines and the standards and then enforcing those standards and then as an afterthought ask God to, uh, you know, endorse it, bless it. 
How many religious leaders have you heard in your lifetime that presented you with a plan and then as an afterthought asked God to bless the plan? When in fact, in a place like Bethany, in hearts like the Bethany hearts, what we really do is we look for where God is at work and we join him. And guess where he's always at work? Over the hill and just out of sight of worldly religion, of worldly affairs. You look for where God is at work and you join him in what he's doing and then you really are within God's will. Then you have a Bethany heart. And he may surprise you where he asks you to join him. He might surprise you where he asks you to go because it probably won't be on a pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem. Now, it sounds like I'm tearing Jerusalem apart, but I'm speaking figuratively here and literally because the fact is, is everything that I've seen or read about that makes evil stuff happen in places like Jerusalem comes from earthly interpretations of religion. And if you think that's just over there, well, I got news for you. It's right here in Jasper, Indiana, too. Jasper in Ireland and Du Bois County. Because, you know, there are people who are pretty sure in every religion that their religion is better than the other religions. And sometimes we can get into some very heated discussions about which religion is the best. My personal opinion is, is that religion isn't good at all. It's a vehicle that we create in order to relate to each other as we together relate to God. But when we become more devoted to our religion and our stuff and our rules and our regulations, we put ourselves in great danger of being more like Jerusalem than like the village of Bethany. And so what the Lord requires of us is to always be ready walk away from Jerusalem, down the rugged road across the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, and just over the crest, just outside of the temple, which, by the way, Jesus rendered irrelevant the day he died on the cross. You remember that when he died on the cross and gave up his last breath, the temple curtain was torn. Now, the curtain in the temple separated the Holy of Holies, the place where God's very presence was thought to dwell. I question whether in those days, whether it was there or not, but in any case, it has always been considered in the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Jerusalem that behind that curtain is the literal presence of God and no human could enter into that presence without being specifically and uh, expressly prepared for that task and even then they tied a rope around their ankle in case they should be stricken dead in God's presence and have to be pulled out. Then when Jesus dies on the cross that curtain is torn and it literally signifies that there is now no longer separation between us and God the Father because Christ the Son has taken away our sin. He's covered it so that we can enter into God's presence. And therefore, the temple doesn't matter anymore. Therefore, there's no benefit to making sacrifices in the temple because Jesus has paid the price once and for all for our sin, and there is in him the final sacrifice. Accepting that as your redemption and the payment of your debt to God, you are now acceptable in God's sight, and therefore, you don't need a temple a religious center to experience God. 
But you do need the body of Christ. You do need other believers. You do need to be part of Christian fellowship or friendship or, or to put it more precisely, you do need to be part of God's family, the children of God, the members of his household. And where you gather, you are the church with a capital C. But when you start to organize, as you cannot help but do, then you are in danger of becoming more committed to the rules and the location and the furnishings and, and the hierarchy, you know, who's going to run this thing and all of that. And so humankind has always struggled with this tension between the authentic movement of the Holy Spirit among the believers and the organization that can eventually turn into something that is entirely human and highly susceptible to the devil's influence. And that's when you have to put Jerusalem in the rearview mirror, down the Kidron Valley, up over the Mount of Olives, and across the crest of the hill, and just out of sight of the religion, there's the place where Christ is. That place is a place where our prayers become Christ's prayers, where our appeal to others to know the living Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords becomes Christ's appeal because we are the body of Christ. We are in all ways, his voice, his hands, his feet. We are the touch of his healing hand. We are the comfort and encouragement and admonition of his powerful voice. We are the servant legs that go the distance to bring comfort and restoration to broken-hearted people. Therefore, our affection for others is Christ's affection. Our love for the brothers and sisters of our family in Christ is the love of Christ for the family. Our gradual deadness to sin is Christ's death and resurrection in us. Our burial of the old fleshly ways. In other words, when we walk away from Jerusalem over the hill and just down the other side, putting the temple behind us, we are walking Christ's walk to the place where he can be known for who he is, where he accepts us for who we are. One day, our resurrection from the old flesh and from death will be Christ's resurrection. Do you want to know what your resurrected existence is going to be like one day? Read about the resurrected Lord Jesus and you'll have some hints of what to look forward to. And in the same way, our ascension is Christ's ascension. You see... As I told you earlier, Christ invites us to join him in ascending. And this is the problem so many believers have, is we, we accept the gift of salvation. We accept the death of our Savior on the cross as the burden taken away from us that separates us from God. And we willingly accept that. But then when he calls us to follow him and to walk in his footsteps, 
we, we will find more often than not that we prefer worldly interpretations of that. We assume that if we embrace a particular religion or a particular set of doctrinal standards or, or even particular religious practices, uh, fasting during Lent, for example, we figure if we do all of that, that we're following Christ. But he asks us to do something many of us either don't know that we should do, don't know how to do, or we just prefer not to do. He asks us to ascend to rise to where he is. In effect, what he's asking you to do is not look at the earth and the world around you, but to look toward heaven every day, to walk every day with your eyes aimed toward heaven, looking toward your eternal home instead of longing for the mud and the muck of your earthly home. This is what he calls us to do. This was, this was the way of all the great fathers and mothers of the church. All of the saints of the church era have been people who were more interested in heaven than earth. And more interested in producing heaven on earth. This is ascendancy. Most of us prefer earth. We prefer the things of the flesh. But the Bethany heart is one that is ascending every day, always aiming a little higher in that spiritual journey, looking for perfect love in our hearts like the love of Christ. I know it's difficult and I understand that it may be imperfect all the way through till the day you arrive in the Lord's presence after dying. I remember just a little less than a year ago when my father died, I told my wife after I got off the phone with my mother that my dad was probably ascending like he'd never ascended before. <laughs> you know, because, because as most sons are good at, I could remember everything that I considered a flaw in my father. And then I had to realize that at that moment when his soul left his body, he also left behind all those other things of the flesh. And now he was in the presence of God where he could move closer to God in every way, unencumbered by the flesh. I don't think I said it that eloquently, but that's what I meant. And so it's really a question of whether you want to start working on that ascendancy now or wait until after you die. But consider this, if you start working on it now, life is so much richer. And the little imperfections and things that burden you will become less of a burden if you start now. Remember from last week that we talked about how Jesus sees you as you are in the eyes of God now. Because of him, God sees you without the sin, without any flaw. And he sees the real you. He sees the version of you that was created in the mind of God the moment you were conceived. This is who you are in Christ, and this is who you will ascend to be sooner or later. But why not sooner? 
Are you tired of looking in the mirror and criticizing what you see? Are you tired of mocking yourself and putting yourself down every time you don't like the things that come out of your mouth or you don't like the habits that you've taken up or you don't like the fact that you're not like someone else and on and on it goes. Are you tired of all of that? Is it exhausting to try to be like something you can't really be? And then to realize that Christ doesn't even call you to try to be like him as much as he calls you to be the you he sees when he looks at you. Ascendancy is to embrace who you are in Christ and then with that being ascend every day into the arms of your Savior to go down that steep slope and up over the hill and putting the world behind and all of its expectations ascend from a place of acceptance. In Bethany, the village, we've already learned that there was death and sorrow, but there was resurrection and life. There was healing and restoration. In Bethany, we saw people letting go of old doctrinal standards and embracing a Jesus, and more than that, the Messiah that they longed for, for who he really is, and not who their religion constructed him to be. In Bethany, we see the real Messiah. In Jerusalem, we see the manufactured Messiah. In religion, we can worship a manufactured version of the Messiah, or we can go to where the Messiah is at work and meet him there just over the hill and out of sight of the world. And that is the place where we will find who we are while we find everything about who he is and will fall in love with him just like they did in Bethany. This whole series about the village of Bethany being the place on earth that God loves to be is both literal and metaphorically about falling in love with Jesus. And it's a love that is just as good for men as it is for women. And it's not romantic. It's more of a love like you have for the best big brother, the best dad, the best mother, the big sister, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the very best human that ever existed on this planet is ready for you to fall in love with him and just to adore his majesty. You say, I don't know how to do that. I don't even understand what that means. There are many times as a parent, now as a grandparent, when I just sit back and adore my children and my grandchildren. Don't tell them I said so. You just look at them and you feel this inexhaustible love for them, don't you? I found when I became a pastor, I'm serious, 25 years ago when I was brand new at this and as green as they come, I found that the minute I stepped into a pulpit where they said, now you are, are the shepherd of this flock, I looked out and I fell in love with the people I saw. I could not help the love that I felt. Now, if that's just a small taste of what it's like to adore our Lord, our King of Kings, our Savior, our sacred Redeemer, 
then you do know what it's like. But you'll find him just over the hill, just out of sight of the religion. So we gather here in a religious context, but as your shepherd, I'm calling us to be more in love with Jesus than our building and our things and our religion, because that matters more. And that will give you joy and hope and peace like you cannot comprehend. Is that what you're hungry for? Then we're gonna keep seeking that here, as long as I have anything to say about it because that's what I need. I hope it's what you need. Let's have Bethany hearts so that the Lord will meet us where we are and bring us in ascension to where he is. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for lifting us to your level, to bringing us to where you are. How utterly inconceivable, Lord. What, ama- what an amazing love you have for us. Well, Lord, help us now to fall in love with you like never before, to adore you as our sacred companion, our savior, our deliverer, deliverer and the one who raises, lowers a hand to where we are and raises us up to where you are. Oh God, help us to ascend every day, we pray. Amen. Amen.